So in the third chapter of Zephaniah, we'll read verses uh, 6 through 13. I uh, planned on uh, finishing uh, the book today, but I don't think that I will. And uh, I, I trust you'll be blessed by uh, some of the things that we'll uh, study. Uh, so uh, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 6 up to verse 13. I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice, and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Uh, so as we come to look at chapter 6, as we've organized these in, uh, in, under oracles, this would be our 10th oracle that we're, we're uh, covering. It's uh, God's judgment against the nations, but he's, he's saying this to Israel. He's saying, don't you see all the things that I have done. And uh, that's how he approaches it. It's, uh, it's repeated and rehearsed to uh, Judah and Jerusalem. And he addresses them concerning his past and future uh, actions. If you remember the context, all around them uh, were the physically physical displays of conquered nations. Uh, the northern kingdom uh, at this point uh, was God. Uh, would they escape if they neglected and disobeyed uh, his words, his worship, and his warnings? That's, uh, that's the idea. Uh, there are reminders throughout the prophets and the New Testament uh, concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's always looked back on. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that amazing uh, rebuke that Jesus gives to cities in his day that says if Sodom and Gomorrah saw the works, they would have repented. Uh, but Sodom and Gomorrah is, is brought up around 25 times as a reminder. Look what God did to those cities. Uh, and that is uh, kind of what the Lord is doing. It's familiar words and familiar actions that we see. The activity and the results are, are all God's activity and, and the results that, that he uh, uh, did. Verse 6 is a reminder. I have cut off nations. I have left fortresses and cities ruined. We've seen the picture in the prophets over and over and over again that there's nobody left. 
that has come up uh, many times. Uh, there also are, are uh, those pictures where uh, God says only the beasts are left. There's, there's only beasts out in the field. Uh, so uh, those are what he rehearses to them. Then his thoughts, the example of other nations being destroyed, should have shown them a clear message and pointed to them to repentance. Look what I've done to other people. That should, that should make us uh, uh, think. Uh, uh, Trapp uses a, a much longer sentence, but basically he says, others' woes should be our warnings. And then he says, others' sufferings should be sermons to us. And then he says, others' lashes should be our lessons. And God is saying, I punish nations for being wicked. Don't you see that I can do it to you? Uh, Trapp calls it Yahweh's house of correction, and that it's a school of instruction. And it's personal. The individual needs to turn and repent, but it's also corporate. He's talking to a nation, a people. He's talking in this letter to Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, the result of seeing these punishments should be fear and hopefully uh, repentance. Remember the, the uh, narrative and acts of Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias is killed and they take his body out and it says, Great fear came upon all who heard it. And then she comes in and repeats the same lie. And then in verse 11 of Acts chapter 5, she's taken out. And great fear came upon the whole church. Upon the whole church. And now that's the people of God and upon all who heard these things. So the church is different than everybody else, isn't it? The church should take it to heart. The church should understand what an awesome act God did in, in the midst Paul tells the Corinthians about their abuse of, of, uh, of the Lord's uh, table. Some of you are sick. Some of you even died. And you're still just eating all your food, forgetting this person. You're still getting drunk and you're still uh, uh, abusing uh, the Lord's table. So the, there should be a difference between church fear and all who heard fear. Uh, the goal is that they would not only fear, uh, but notice it says, accept correction and receive discipline. Uh, that's, uh, that's the goal. Surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all I've appointed against you. He says, he says surely this should be an example uh, for anybody. But he also says this, uh, this punishment uh, is appointed. Uh, it, there's always a mix in the prophets, isn't there? The, the judgment is coming, but there's still time to repent. The judgment is coming, but there's still time to repent. And, and that's the point. He's appointed things to happen, but there's still time uh, to change. Uh, the picture presented to them is that Yahweh has already appointed their uh, dwelling. Uh, to be cut off. But then comes the sad state uh, related in the end of verse 7. It's the sad state of the human heart, even the enlightened hearts of the people of Judah and Jerusalem. They had prophets, they had some good kings and the presence of the temple, but it didn't change them. All the more, it says, they were eager 
to make all their deeds corrupt. The ESV uses all two times just to just to show the expanse of it. It's uh, it, it's not there, but another version says they rose early to corrupt themselves. Uh, the picture is in uh, the life of Abraham when he's told to to take Hagar and Ishmael out. It says he rose early. God gave him the command and he was eager to get it done. He got up early to do what God told him to do. But these people are doing the opposite. They are eager. They are eager to do all their deeds. We have a similar passage in Romans 1 and verse 32. Even though people know God's decree that people who do this deserve to die, they not only do all those sins, but they give approval to others who do them as well. The Israelites should have seen what God did to cut off nations and learn from it, but they didn't. They really stayed eager to do uh, uh, their evil things. And then uh, Yahweh speaks in verse 8. This is the, the global prophecy. This is God saying, you've seen what I've done already, but my plan is to deal with all the nations. And uh, we'll just go back in, in Zephaniah to see that Zephaniah is a global prophecy. Uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, uh, declares the Lord. Speaking of uh, Judgment Day, chapter 1, verses uh, 17 and 18. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. And he goes on to say that that will be all the inhabitants uh, of the earth. Chapter 2, uh, verse 11, the Lord will be awesome against them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and to him shall bow down each in its place all the lands uh, of the nations. There's uh, a global uh, activity that God is going to do. And these are uh, for familiar facets of the uh, uh, of the prophetic doom. Uh, uh, there's the therefore, as a result of your sin. Uh, God says, wait for me. Uh, God acts. He's the one who controls everything. He's the one that uh, we would wait for. He's the one who uh, has his purposes, regardless of all of man's efforts. And then notice, he says, declares Yahweh. We've talked about that before. In the prophecy of Jeremiah, it's over and over and over again, declares uh, Yahweh. Uh, he is going to do it. And then he, 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 puts, he puts that time stamp on it. We, we've gone over this over and over again. Uh, Zephaniah is a, a, a prophet of the day of the Lord and, and the day. We talked about it in the beginning. We talked about it last week. A day is coming, a day is coming, a day is coming. And we would say, well, well, when is it? Uh, and the idea is the same as we just said already. If you see God's activity, you need to repent and turn because today is the day of salvation. We can't figure out all of God's work. We can't figure out all of his ways. We've talked about it over and over. Everybody who's predicted the end times and predicted when Jesus has come back, will come back, has the same thing in common. They've all been wrong. Amen to that. And 
And the, but that's what God's saying. Look, a day when I rise up to seize the prey. Here's that picture of the, the lion or the, the beast again. The day. Wait for it. When is it? He just says it's coming. The, the picture of a predatory animal stalking its prey. I've, I've always been fascinated uh, uh, by the, uh, a cat. When the cat gets down and it gets up on its haunches and it, 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 it kind of is quivering. You know it's going to pounce. You've seen it, haven't you? And, and it's there and there you say, I know that cat's going to go after those birds. And it does it so fast, it still surprises you, doesn't it, when it, go, when it finally does it. It's shaking, shaking, shaking. All of a sudden, you say, well, that was fast. Well, you knew that's what was coming. But that's what God says. This is how it's coming. You can see it. You can see it. Everything in Yahweh, you might say, is tense like the cat. He's saying, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. It could happen just like that. And the bird didn't know it, and we didn't even know it, even though we saw it right there. That cat's going to jump at that bird. He'll rise up for plunder or rise up to the, to the prey. This is, this, is, this is what's going to happen. The, here's, the, here's the decision. Wait for it that day. He says there's two actions he's going to do. He's going to gather nations and assemble kingdoms. And, and that fits the picture of the, the predatory thing, isn't it? Any predator looks for the weakest or looks for a gathering of them. And we've seen that over and over as well. The tiger just comes out of the bushes after a herd of cattle or something, and they just go after it. And, and who, who's the last one? Well, who's the first one that's devoured? The, the weakest or the one that made the wrong move or the one that didn't stick with the rest? And God says, just like that, I'm going to gather the nations and assemble the nations. And here's a, a, another picture. Pour out. He's going to pour out indignation. He, he's going to pour out this uh, fiery picture, burning anger, the fire of his jealousy. We, we remember that over and over. That God does not take idolatry lightly. He does not take our rebellion and our sin lightly. It's, it stirs things up in him. And here's that picture. Chapter 2, verse 2. The burning anger of the Lord. This is repeated. And then there's the fire of his jealousy. We've seen over and over again the powerful pictures of fire. And all the earth shall be consumed. Uh, the same as, as Second Peter is this picture. Peter says, you should look. And it's the same picture of God's timing, isn't it? People say, hey, where, where's the coming of the Lord? You, you Christians, you, you're waiting for something to happen. Why? There's nothing going on. The people in Zephaniah did the same thing, didn't they? They said, well, the Lord's not going to do good and he's not going to do ill. Uh, but what does Peter say? God doesn't count time like people count time. And he says in, in one day, in one moment, the, all the heavens will be, be wiped out. And then he says, what kind of people should you be? That's the same pressure that we should feel when we read the prophets. So it's not only eschatological destruction of the sinners in Judah and Jerusalem, but 
but all nations. And then, and then he just makes a complete switch. And the, these other verses talk about the gospel. It's such, a, it's such a complete switch that some more liberal commentators say, well, well maybe somebody else wrote this other part of Zephaniah. Because how could he switch from talking about judgment to talking about changing people's hearts and changing their mouths? Well, I would submit to you that throughout history, there is always judgment and salvation going on at the same time. Think of a passage in the New Testament, one of the New Testament letters, where in the heights of talking about the gospel, there's a talking about God's wrath as well. Can somebody think where, where that might be? Just say the chapter. Oh, Zechariah is, is part of that. Right. New, New, New Testament. Contrast. New Testament. Romans 1. See, that's it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And then he says, the righteous, the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. They're always the same. This isn't, this isn't Zephaniah 2 or Zephaniah 3 coming along. This isn't some writer that amended it so it wasn't a bad message. The bad message is in Romans 1 as well. The bad message is in the Revelation, the book of Revelation as well. It's always the good and the bad together. How, how, about, a, uh, how about a parable of Jesus that, that talks about good and evil always there at the same time? The enemy sowed what? The enemy sowed tares. He says, uh, they come back and they say, uh, sir, look, our fields are ruined. The enemy so tears. He said, just leave it. Don't do anything now. I'll take care of it at the end. But, but that's the picture. It, it's not that, well, we had the bad Zephaniah here for a while. Now we got the good Zephaniah. No, no, no. But this is good news. Look at the things that, that God is going to do. Uh, this is why... Uh, this is why I'm not going to finish, because this is such uh, good news. Here, uh, here, if we call this one of the oracles, it's the 11th one, and it's verses 9 to 13. It's salvation comes from Yahweh alone. The people, the people can't do it. Amen. Uh, and right off, what does he say? Verse 9. For at that time, there's our timestamp again. What time? When? What is he going to do? I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. Well, how do you do that? How do you get wicked people to change their speech? Well, this is the, this is the new covenant, isn't it? This is the gospel age, isn't it? That's the only thing that, that it can be. How did well, God force my mouth to be a different mouth? Yes, that's what he did. He says, here is a day. At that time, verse 9, on that day, verse 11, uh, God, Yahweh, again, controls the how and the when of his work. And man, what does he do? He sees the judgment that God has done already. He, he sees everything around him that God has done. And what does it say? He was still eager to do his sin. He still was an idolater. The reason is he can't control himself, but God controls the time and he controls everything else. And then he says it, 
I will change the speech of the people. No change for the most part has been seen in God's people. Many, many prophets were sent over and over and over again. And they preached to the people without changing. Israel, the northern kingdom, has been wiped out. Other nations, including Babylon and the great city of Nineveh, you remember in the prophecy of Nahum, that's all wiped out. All these things are wiped out. And the prophets, even at some times, and in the New Testament, still points back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, if it wasn't enough for you, we remember what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. The, uh, that's it. Now Yahweh sets a day when he will make the change. What an amazing thing. And, and this, is, this is our only hope, isn't it? Our only hope is in the sovereign, heart-changing, powerful work of the living God. That's where, that's where the gospel comes from. That's where our salvation comes from. Amen. What can man do? What can we do to affect our own salvation? We never would have thought about it. He will change the speech, which means he will change hearts first. Because Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You don't start talking right until your heart is right. You don't start saying the correct words that honor the Lord until your heart begins to honor the Lord. Ephesians 2.8. Not only the change in speech, but make it what? A pure speech. I'm going to change their speech. Oh, well, that's good because they're, all they talk about is idols and this and that. No, but God says, I'm going to make it a pure speech. Isaiah 19.18. In that day, there will be five cities in the land of Egypt that speak the language of Canaan and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. That's talking about the, the spread of the gospel. We'll, we'll see that a little bit later. He mentions Cush, which is uh, Ethiopia. And uh, uh, Lord willing, we'll see a verse. People came from that far away to tell other people about the gospel. So God knows this change is going to spread. God knows that men's hearts are, are, are going to be changed by the implementation of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33 declares the Lord. There's the declares the Lord all over Jeremiah. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Everything we've been talking about in the prophets shows us that, that that's the problem. There's no relationship. They've turned to other gods and God says, oh, I'm going to take care of that. It, the, there's a fascinating thing. It's in this passage, but it's also in uh, it's also in John chapter six. You no longer will have to teach people. You no longer will have to teach people and say, "Know the Lord," because all will know. The the change will be so thorough. And 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 it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that there will be no preaching that people just pop up as if Christians here and there. No, it doesn't mean that. But it doesn't. It, it means there won't be this constant, constant pressure that has to be uh, put on people. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six and twenty seven. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. Uh, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what you need. That's what we need. Not. 
not a vein taken out of your leg and have a couple of put out. Now you have to take medication to keep your, your veins open. No, a brand new heart, a brand new heart. This is made of wood, but could you imagine how a heart made of wood? That's pretty hard. You can't get through. But God says, no, it, was, it wasn't. It was harder than wood. It was stone. That's what was in there. That's what was in here. He'll take it out. A spiritual heart operation, a transplant, and I will put my spirit within you. His spirit, active Holy Spirit in God's people working. And what happens? What's the result? And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. That's the new covenant. How do you get a new mouth? How do you say pure speech? It's because God has taken the stony heart out of you and put in a heart of flesh. It's the exercise of his will. It's the exercise of his power. It's the exercise of, of his might. This inaugurated change uh, comes about uh, by uh, uh, pure speech. And, and God alone is the one that does it. Our condition, we need to look at our condition for a second. Paul says in Romans 3, 10 through 18, there's none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You see, the myth of free will just kind of got thrown out the window, didn't it? Because God says, no one. No one. You need to be taught first before your will understands anything because that's who you are. Here's, here's our speech. Here's an important thing about our speech. Oh, you say, well, God's going to change their speech. Why? What was it like before? Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitternesses. And you would say, well, I, I wasn't that bad. I didn't talk like that. Well, yes, you did. Because this is the testimony of, of the living God. This isn't you trying to, to mitigate things. This is not you trying to say, well, I was always searching for the Lord. No, you weren't. You didn't understand. And no one searched for God, it says. Do you see what it takes to change a sinner's speech? Do you see what it takes to change a sinner's speech to pure speech? You don't have to teach a toddler to lie. You don't have to teach a toddler to do all sorts of things. It's bound up in their hearts, bound up in our hearts. And God says, you don't understand, you don't seek for God. And then he underscores, no. Not one. Nothing but God's power takes, these, uh, takes away these filthy lying mouths of ours. And we just have to say, praise the Lord for that. Bless God for that. Because it's a whole new covenant. And he, he makes a whole new people, but he does all the work. He changes the heart from stone to flesh, puts the spirit in and causes you. Oh, you mean he kind of pushes me along? You bet that. Our, our, our brother Michael Denger, the passage that he looked at, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you both to will and to do. Even Christians need help 
to will and to do and work for God's good pleasure. And we work, we work it out with fear because that, that's the understanding, isn't it? That I'm possessed by the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God is in me. And there's an expectation that that's what I'm going to do is persevere in the faith and live for God. And God is not only going to change my will to do that, but help me to work it out. How much more somebody that, uh, that's unconverted. Uh, and now notice, notice this change from speech to worship at the end of verse 9. That all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. And we've seen that over and over again. Only God can make the difference. He's been calling out to his people. He's been calling out to people who've seen hundreds of miracles. They, they could go back and say, well, remember the axe head. Remember the time the water separated. Remember this. Remember that. Remember this. And they still disobeyed. But the pure speech is going to make them call upon the name of the Lord and serve him uh, with one accord. It's an amazing thing. It's the new covenant blessings again. So there's a change in speech. And then there's this change in worship. And then there's the spread. There's geographic expansion. It says beyond uh, the rivers of Cush, which is Ethiopia, my worshipers, the, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. What an amazing thing. So, so if you see Palestine here, and you know south of there is Egypt, Ethiopia is all the way over that. Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's further south over there. It's far away. Somebody is going to come from there and be a worshiper of God, though. That's in God's plan. They didn't talk the right way. They didn't talk uh, pure speech, but they're going to come and, and they're going to worship. And, uh, and uh, I love these things. The, the worshipers, the, the, the daughter of the dispersed. Acts, Acts 11, uh, verses 19 to 21. One of my, uh, my favorite little... Uh, portions of Acts. Uh, the gospel is spreading uh, and things are starting to happen. And uh, the, the, the problem, you know, sure, is that uh, the Gentiles are being saved. But now listen to where they're, they're coming from. Uh, Acts eleven nineteen and 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed uh, turned to the Lord. Th these people came from Cyrene. Now, get my geography the right way, Palestine, Egypt, Ethiopia, Cyrene is all the way over here, the north coast of Africa. So the gospel spread because of persecution. The church didn't stop growing. It grew more. And for some reason, these people from Cyrene said, we've got to go and tell others the gospel. And they traveled all the way back here and ended up in Antioch. And Cyprus is, a, is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Some people there that got saved said, we've got to go back to the mainland and preach the gospel. 
and all these people were saved. Think of the spread of the gospel. Think, they, they, they heard what was going on there, and they sent Barnabas up there. They said, you better get up to Antioch and find out what's going on. Go find out. And he found out and he said, now I understand God shows no partiality because Gentiles are being saved and Jews are being saved and Hellenists are being saved and everybody's being saved. And these worshipers, they were scattered. But now we see God scattered people for a reason. And he has always used the scattered people. Believers who were dispersed uh, then witnessed to others. A and notice where, where this kind language, the, the daughters uh, of the dispersed. But we find it in, in the letters of John. John calls those he writes to his little children. He writes in 2 John, he says, to the elect lady and her children. He uses these tender terms. He says in 3 John, he is happy, he is glad to know that his children are walking in the truth. The sons and daughters, the literal sons and daughters of the kingdom are being kept care and watched over by this great apostle. The gospel just keeps spreading to, to many regions. We've seen it in Revelation. Seven churches, seven cities, seven places. And Russ has showed us in the, in the mental map too. You start here and the letters went around there. And then 1 Peter talks about those who were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And that's like the next level out. And those are regions. They're not, they're not cities. That's not the church of Ephesus, the church of Thyatira. No, it's a whole, it's a whole region of people. James says he, he writes to the 12 tribes that are dispersed. Uh, that's where the gospel goes. Acts chapter 2. The people click off. We heard it in our language. And it clicks off, I believe, 13 different uh, languages that, that they heard. We, we heard it in our own tongues. What an amazing thing. And where did they go? Uh, they, they all went back home. They all were scattered. And God and his power, what does he do? I'm going to get these people from Cyrene who know the Lord, and they're going to travel all the way over here and go up north of uh, Jerusalem and, and speak to those in Antioch, and I'm going to bless their ministry. And other people who are only going to the Jews, I'm going to start sending them to Hellenists as well. And it just, it just spreads, uh, and it just uh, explodes. So we're, we're, uh, we're behind, just like I thought we would be, but that's, that's okay. Because uh, th this is the gospel. This is what God is doing even now. We, we talked about the Twombly's at the outset. That's why they're in Papua New Guinea, because they were saved. And can you imagine talking to somebody in Papua New Guinea, New Guinea and, and, and say, oh, this guy's from the United States in Florida. They would say, why in the world did you come all the way over here? It's because of the gospel. It's because the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everybody who believes. And the person from South Florida or mid-Florida, he can go 9,000 miles, they said, as the crow flies 9,000 miles and preach the gospel, and somebody there can be saved. That's, that's what's happening. Somebody in Papua New Guinea who has only spoken lies has the poison of asps in their lips. 
and doesn't glorify God may bless God and speak pure words because of the ministry of the Twombles. Because it's God's work. It's God's power. And, and then verse 11 through 13 come, and here is just again and again. Verse 11, on that day, when is it? Uh, I believe it, it's, it's in the period of the gospel expansion. Notice what he's going to be doing. You shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you've rebelled against me. And you remember how much shame was in the book of Zephaniah. Earlier, he says, you can't bring them to shame. In chapter 3, verse 5, it says, God every day brings forth his righteousness and justice, but the unjust knows no shame. You remember the, 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 the picture, the trap gave that picture of the ice. He says, ice in the beginning, you could take a pebble, you throw it out there, it goes right through. Now it could hold a cart, a cart with a horse. Because they got to the point where they, where they wouldn't be shamed. Now God says, I'm going to work on that shame. Because you, you're going to be different, so you won't bear the shame of being evil people anymore. A complete reversal of pride. We were at the men's meeting studying the first thing on pride. We, we learned that, that pride is everywhere. That, that famous quote, pride is the first thing we put on and the last thing we take off. It is woven into our being so completely that it's almost impossible to get out. You had an argument this week with somebody. I bet there was pride involved. You raised your voice. I bet there was pride involved. I did, and there was pride involved. Burning pride. I'm right. You're wrong. My will, not your will. Full of it. Intertwined. And how does God change the speech? By changing the heart. And how in the world do you get rid of pride? By changing the heart. Notice the complete, the complete completion of this wicked deeds of shame will be removed. And notice, I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Unfortunately, we have to, we have to stop soon. But, but think of that. That's monumental change. I'm going to go work in your midst and the proud people, I'm going to move them out and I'm going to move in people who, uh, who worship the right way, who, who, who are not proud anymore. It's an amazing thing. And, and, and so we kind of dipped our water into that section and uh, we'll, we'll have to come back. Uh, I, I knew that I knew that I wouldn't finish, although I, I plan to. But, but what a chance to reflect on the power of God and salvation. What, what did we have that we didn't receive? And we can say with Spurgeon, there by the grace of God, there but by the grace of God go I. Why was I made to hear his voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather, rather starve than come? God is at work. People from all nations and all places, everywhere, they, they've heard this. And, and God takes the proud ones out and puts humble ones in. He does, he does it by his power. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for these mercies. We're thankful that we do know you uh, as 
this powerful God. We are thankful that uh, we can worship you and bless you and, and give you all glory for our salvation because uh, we did not understand. We did not seek for you. And the record against us was those of lawbreakers uh, worthy of death. We're thankful for the salvation found in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.